revelation, you uh, sometimes you can kind of get uh, antsy, I guess you could say. Uh, but you know, when I was praying and uh, preparing to getting ready to, uh, to minister, I was, you know, of course, you always think about the Book of Acts and the Spirit of God being poured out, the first and second chapter. But I just believe that the Lord wants to speak to us here today, and and uh, you know, what is the future of Pentecost? Where are we at today? And we know that God did a great and mighty work years and years ago, but God's still doing a great and mighty work in His church today. I don't believe we serve a dead God, but we serve a living God. And so I want to talk here a little bit here this morning uh, from some of the letters that were addressed to the churches. And I know I probably won't get through everything, uh, but to every church, but we'll try to do the best we can. But I just want to home in on this scripture. Uh, it's Revelation chapter 2 and verse 7. When you have it, say amen. It says, He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. To him that overcometh, <clears throat> will I give to eat of the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And I want to minister here a little while this morning and talk about what is the Spirit saying to us this Pentecost Sunday morning. What is the Spirit saying to us? I want us to bow our heads and pray. I ask the Lord to minister to our hearts here this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we've already felt your Spirit. And Lord, we never want to take for granted, Lord, every time that we come into your house, Lord. And not only we feel your presence, Lord, but we're fed by your word, God, Lord. And I believe, Lord, that we are living in the last day, God, Lord, and that you want to do a great and mighty work, Lord. And that we can glean something, Lord, from these letters that you give to these churches, Lord, that the vision that you give to John. I pray, Lord, that you would help us to receive it and it would fall on good ground. And that your work would be prosperous in each and every one of our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. And so we're going to look here this morning in, in chapters 2 and 3 uh, and try to make a little bit, cover a little bit of ground. In the end of chapter 1, John the Apostle, while in captivity under Roman government, was on the island of Patmos, received just a... He received kind of a wonderful vision of things to come and obedience to the Lord. He wrote it down. Not only uh, did he write it down, that, uh, not only did he write it down, the churches, not only in that age, but in that through the ages that would be encouraged to come and edified and comforted and strengthened by the fact that he was coming again. We all know that the Lord is coming again. We see the times, the writing on the wall, things that are going on in our nation, our country, and uh, some of us, you know. It's not uh, any surprise some of the things that are taking place. I know every day we turn on the news and we're seeing more and more wickedness and corruption. But he showed him a vision that he was coming and coming soon, that we have a perfect judge and all evil and all wickedness will be dealt with in ultimate justice. We know we serve not only a holy God, but we serve a, a just God. We can hold on to that when we're going through tough times. And when I look across even the congregation here this morning, that I know many of your stories. I know a lot of where you are or where you've gotten today and where you've been in the past. Most of us, if we've been in the church for any length of time, we, we know some of our backgrounds and where we came from and where 
God has brought us. And you there, you've either been in hard times or, or as we're going to talk about when we get to one of the letters here this morning, you will be in hard times. And that's just the fact of life. And it says in the midst of our joy for the Lord, our love for the Lord can be, he can be almost like the sweetest fragrance that not only fills our life, but also fills those that are around us. And so John is caught up when he's caught up in the heaven, and he's got this vision. He has these things beginning to unfold, and he sees a vision of Jesus. Amen. Aren't you thankful for God speaking to people? Amen. I am too. In verse 17, he says, when I saw him, I fell at his feet. In chapter 1, says, but he laid his right hand upon me, and he said to me, don't be afraid. I'm the first and the last, and I am he that lives and was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore, so to be. And Jesus is, he's not just still hanging on a cross. We don't serve a dead God, but we serve a risen God. And he was taken down from that cross and laid in that grave, and three days later, he rose victoriously over sin and death. And the very first fruits of those who would also rise up of, of whom are you and I, we're part of that. If we're newborn, if we're, we've had the new birth experience, and we're born again believers, amen. And we'll also live with the Lord forever, and that should give us great joy, and it should give us a passion that we realize that life here is not, it's not all that's there. And this life is just kind of like a way station. I was thinking about this, and I think I know Brother Adam's a truck driver, and he, he drives a truck, and I'm sure he don't like those way stations, and probably tries to veer around them and all, but that's what our life is. It's kind of like we go through way stations, just to stop on the way to eternity, and it's not the end in itself, and it's very important because it's a critical place that's here, and we choose which way we're going to go. We're going to go to heaven, or we're going to go to hell, and that's a real, it's real, and we, we hear it say, said so many times, sometimes our, our ears, we get numbed with those questions asked to us. And I'm so thankful that God intruded into my heart so many years ago, and I'm thankful that he did the same for you guys as well. And, and you know, we have to keep a hold on that, grasp a hold on that, that we're gathered here this morning, that we're a church body, we're, we're members of Christ, and we're all together trying to help one another make it to heaven. And he's alive forevermore. And so he says to John to write these things which you have seen, and the things which are, and the things which will take place after this. And the things which you have seen would be John's vision of the glorified Christ in which we saw, and you can read in chapter, um, chapter 1, the things that which would be in the letters to the seven churches in Asia Minor, and, and chapters 2 and 3 to the church age as a whole, and then that which would take place after the church age, and after the, after the church is finished, and when the time of the Gentiles is complete, when the last person will be saved, when the church bride of Christ is taken up to be forever with the Lord. Verse number 20, we see that the mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands, the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And each of these letters follows a structural pattern. Each of these letters have a to and from beginning. It says to the angel of that particular church, and that kind of, you know, when you look at um, the word angel in the Greek, it can also mean messenger. Most of us probably uh, know that, but I want to throw that out there, which was the duty of different pastors and which over the churches. And they were churches like our gatherings of people, people who loved Jesus, who gathered together initially. They were planted around the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And they had leaders in those churches that was responsibility of instructing and leading and guiding and protecting. So I believe John had in mind in those churches that they were within his, uh, his little inner circle or his immediate influence there in Asia Minor. He probably knew who each of those pastors in those churches was. And I believe, you know, Jesus, we know that Jesus sure knew who they were. And he had a word for them. And how would you, how would you like to get a certified uh, letter from the Lord? That would kind of be, uh, <laughs> kind of be a scary thing, wouldn't it? Um, especially if you're, if you wouldn't, if your heart wasn't right or you wasn't where you, uh, where you should be. And so it starts off, I know your works. You know, how would we react if God started off and sent us a certified letter is that I know your works. That'd probably be, make us a little bit nervous, I guess you could say. But the fact is that he isn't here to destroy us. God's here to draw, draw us to him and to turn things that aren't pleasing to him to, and for us to get right. We, we serve a loving God. We serve a just God. We serve a God that, is, that cares so much for each and every one of us. And so, so we established that, that it has a to and from to the church and the from is from the self-description of Jesus. And each one of them, as we read through the description of Jesus, kind of looks like the vision that John had and the portion of the vision that he had in chapter number one. He commends them for what they're doing good, except for the church at Sardis and the church at Laodicea. He also points out what they're doing wrong, except for the church of Smyrna and for the church of Philadelphia. And then he makes a statement of exhortation or counseling, followed by a call to commitment, which says, He who has an ear, let him hear, and a promise to him who overcomes, I will give, I will make, and he will be. And so it's important to look at each one of these particular um, churches. And we look at these letters in this morning, and we're, we're going to look at them individually because I believe and try to do as many as we possibly can. And so how do we take these letters? And, We've already mentioned here this morning they're written to hit hist real historical churches that existed. We're also to take them as a whole because they are seven. And we know that seven in the scripture is a number of completion. And the letters are applicable to the complete church. And in a sense, there are seven churches that are in existence today. And just as they, we've been, just as there have been throughout history, Jesus saw these particular churches in a combination of their strengths and weaknesses, and that would be a characteristic of all the churches during the church age while he was absent from the earth. Even in Dothan, Alabama here this morning, I believe those, there are those seven characteristics of those churches. And you say, Brother Chad, how could you say that? Because I know we're dealing with individuals, we're dealing with people. I'm not trying to point nobody out. What I am saying that God's word is... is um, it's a, it's a foundation, and we can look to it. I don't believe that it's, we can you put place it in one part of history, and it's not applicable to another. But we can apply it to our lives here this morning. And Jesus said that he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And in a sense, each letter also applies to us as each as individuals, because the characteristics of good and bad that are mentioned in those letters we can have those same things going on in our lives at different times. And so my question here this morning is how do we deal with that? How do we respond to that? I know that's kind of a heavy question on a Sunday morning, 
but it's the question that needs to be asked. I know we like to glorify and we like to look back at the day of Pentecost and we look back at what was filled, uh, the 120 that was filled in the upper room. And, you know, we, uh, we glorify and we, you know, we're thankful for the doctrine and what God's given to us. But I'm talking about right here in this moment today, where is the future of Pentecost? And we can take these letters prophetically as well. And there's an interesting flow of this church. You look all throughout history. And as the church has grown through the years, there's, it's kind of a similar flow of issues from church to church as we read here this morning. Starting with Ephesus in the apostolic age going all the way to Laodicea. In that final age of apostasy before the Lord comes back. And it's interesting not that we're not going to take that view, that view aggressively because it's not really supported in detail, but God is a God of order. How many of us know that? He's a just God. He's a God of order. And even in the letters of the churches, there's kind of a, when you look at it, there's kind of an order and a circular pattern starting with geographically and not only geographically, but starting with each individual church. You go from Ephesus to Smyrna to Pergamos to Thyatira the Sardis, then Philadelphia, then Laodicea, and from where John was at. And it was like the Lord was going, he was starting here, and he was going from here to there to here to there. And I'm thankful for a God that is a God of order, because sometimes I can make a mess of things. Sometimes we can make a mess of things, but God helps us to stay on the straight and narrow path. Thank you, Lord, for helping us to be more and more prepared. That's what prophecy is. It helps us to see things in advance. Help us to be more ready. And that's really why we study the Word of God. It's not just a book of revelation, but it's a book that helps us to counsel, helps us to be ready, helps us to know because we know Scripture tells us that no man knows the day nor the hour when the Lord's going to come back. We don't know if it's, today's going to be our last day. I know a lot of us, sometimes we pray, we pray that prayer, Lord, come quickly. You know, look at our nation, everything that's going on in our world today. You know, what is to come of it? Lord, we need you to come and come quickly. And, and we ask, maybe we ask the question, why is he waiting? And there may be a few more souls that need to be saved. And I believe there's more than just a few more souls, not just here, but all across our city, our section, our state. And I believe God's calling each and every one of us. Of course, none of us know when our own personal calling is going to be when the Lord's going to call us home. When, when our death date comes. And so God, help us not. I don't want to live ignorantly in these days today. I don't want to live my life half, haphazardly. I want to live my life full of purpose and desire. And I know you want to do the same as well. Help us not to get distracted by the temptations of this, of this world, the pleasures around us. There's so many distractions and temptations that we have <coughs> going on in our world today. And we can, we can dive off in anything. It seems like we're, we, we live in such a frantic-paced world, and we're go, 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 and it's nonstop. And, and then when we come to the weekend, we just want to relax, and we just want to chill. But yet the Lord wants a relationship all along. And so we, we have those different ways of looking at it. For our message here this morning, when we look at the text and what I read to you, I really like to focus on some of the strengths and weaknesses that show up not only in our own church, but more specifically in our own lives. How are we being dealt with? What is the Lord saying to us here this morning? What are we going to do about it? And so when we look at the, uh, the, church, uh, the letters to the churches, we begin with Ephesus chapter 2. Historically speaking, 
Ephesus was a zealous, a zealous church of the first century. And yet, even in that church, so close time-wise to the time of Jesus, which was only a mere couple of generations from the time Jesus' physical presence was on the earth, they were developing some serious problems. They had some great ministry going on in Ephesus, but they had allowed a personal passion for Jesus to fade away. How many of you can even look in your own life here this morning and say, you know what, I can probably testify that, Brother Chad. There's been moments in my life that I just got caught up with working and going and doing and just going through the motions and never letting the Lord have the relationship that he wants with us. And the Lord warns them that they needed to repent and ignoring these problems would result in the removal of the church from the flow and the purpose that God had for them. And Ephesus, when you look at today, it's in ruins. And it didn't last really when you look, I mean, when you kind of study, it didn't last much past the 5th century. And so that kind of leads us to verse number 7, where, the, where I was homing in on our, our text verse, where it says, To the angel of the church of Ephesus write these things, he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. And, you know, it's God's desire, it's his plan, it's his purpose to walk in the midst of each and every one of us. That is his desire. Amen. Amen. He said, Lo, I will be with you always, even until the end of the ages. And I believe he's saying that even here today. And so he's with us here today, and he's saying, Look, in that church, he said, I know your works. He says, your labor, your patience in the church of Ephesus. You cannot bear those who are evil. You've tested those who say they are apostles and not have found them liars. And you have preserved and you have patience and you have labored for my name's sake. You've not become weary. So you really, you, when you read all these things, you think, Ephesus, that's, that's a pretty good church, right? They're doing it. They're doing the work of the Lord. They're growing in attendance. They've got all these ministries going on getting into. And then verse number four says, Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, where you have fallen. Repent and do the works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. But you have this, the Scripture tells us, that you hate the deeds of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. And you look and you do a study about the Nicolaitans. They were thought to be a group that was infiltrating the churches, establishing themselves as the voice of God for the people, where there was an elite group of priests. They, they would hear from God, and then they would tell the people. And the people themselves couldn't hear. And the Lord says, I hate that, because he come to have a relationship with us as individuals. There's no greater person. God is no respecter of persons. <clears throat> Amen. And so, you don't, we don't need a human mediator. God hears your prayers just as much as he hears minister prayers on this platform. You have just as much access to the Lord as we do. Amen. We're ministers. We're here to serve you. And that's, God just called us to be servants to him. And so, it ends with, so he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the paradise of God. And God wants us to be eating from him forever and ever. Amen. And if you know him and if you know the truth, the truth will set you free forever. And we know that. We've heard that said multiple times, probably hundreds, thousands of times. But you will be satisfied when you eat of him. 
Amen. We look at this letter as a whole and we see how important it is to stay close with the love of our Lord Jesus Christ. When we first met the Lord and we gave our lives to him, for the pastor was talking about this morning about the love for Gomer, Hosea and Gomer. And, you know, when you have that first love and you have that, 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 that burning and that passion, there's nothing like it. it you, I mean, you, you can realize, you can see it in their eyes that, hey, man, something's wrong with this person. I mean, they're, they're deeply in love with them. And God wants us to have that same passion for him, for Jesus to burn inside of us. We want to follow and obey. He wants us to follow and obey him wherever he would lead us. Amen. But then we get too busy oftentimes. Busy with work, busy with service. We're warned here and there. If we're not careful, we can get so caught up in the laboring and the doing, and we can be like almost the story with Mary and Martha, and Martha gets so caught up in doing things, and she misses out. And that could be us as individuals even here this morning. And we got to learn that labor is no substitute for love. Amen. Labor is no substitute for love. You can be working real hard, but if you're not loving the Lord, if the motivation to do the work is not your love and your passion for Jesus Christ, then it's not going to bear lasting fruit. Ephesus depicts, when we look at here, the, the careless church. It warns us to not let our love grow cold. You know, when we look at them on the outside, you, you can say, well, they have attention to detail. They have ministries going on. They have all these things and the works, and everything looks good on the outside. But the Lord says, I, I see their hearts, and there's something not right with their heart. God always exposes our heart. Sometimes we can be great actors. Sometimes we can put on fronts and we can say we're fine and, and everything can be fine around us. But when deep down inside, we, we feel the pressure of the world. We feel the pressure of our jobs. We feel the pressure of the enemy's attacks. And so he searches our hearts. And there was something blocking that this searching in these people in Ephesus, they were more boasting in perhaps their works than they was their relationship with Jesus. Now God, help us to always stay fixed on him and not just our works. Sometimes you can, we can get in a performance mode. We can get in a mode where, you know, I'm doing a work for the Lord. I'm, I'm doing this. I'm doing this. But yet, the whole time our relationship with the Lord is just weaning and it's, it's fading away slowly but surely. So what do we do if we've left our first love? Maybe you found yourself in the place that you're not on fire anymore. Sometimes people say you, you've just matured, and I'm not, I'm not in that youthful stage, and I'm not jumping and shouting, and I'm not doing those things. I've matured. And so when you, there's something about true love when it blazes somebody's heart. When you fall in love for the first time, you know, it's like I was saying a while ago, you're just, I mean, you have a passion, you have a zeal. You're so full of life, and that ought to be our, our testament, our relationship with each and every one of us here today with the Lord, because sometimes we can let that love go out. Sometimes we can let that fire dwindle out. Sometimes it can be weeks, months, maybe even years go by without the fire, and so the Lord wants to light the fire again. The Lord wants to not only light the fire again, but he wants to kindle it, and so we've got to remember, how do we return? First of all, we've had to remember, like the scripture says, remember where we have fallen. 
to correct any departure from the Lord, the first step is to go back to the place of departure. Remember the passion that once gripped our hearts that causes for it is the wonder not only of the new birth experience and the salvation that God gave to us, but remember the first time that God dealt with you and that, that feeling, I mean, that just, that exuberance, that passion, that zeal that you wanted to do a great work for the Lord. Remember that. Remember the joy and the satisfaction that was in Christ. When you, get, you got down on the altar and you knelt and you prayed and the Lord worked mightily, amen. Go back to your testimony when the Lord started dealing with your heart. Each and every one of us have a testimony. We have things that the Lord done mightily and we could share, go down the rows. And so we were to remember it, not to forget it. Second thing we were to do is we're to repent. It was to change their attitude and their actions in regard to God and his word. When you discover where you went wrong, don't just become bitter. You heard Brother Harrison, he's been teaching on Wednesday night about not grieving the spirit. A lot of times when you get older, we, we get bitter, we get cynical. And so we're not to get bitter. We're not to justify our actions. But we are to turn. We are to return. Amen. Return to the first works. Get back to the Word of God. Get back to where you were so hungry for the Lord. Just like when you get hungry, you go out and you eat at a restaurant. You know, we, we've got we've to create a healthy appetite. Some of us need to sacrifice some things for God instead of letting our eyes wander on our favorite worldly interests. And I'm, I'm guilty of that. I'll, I'll be honest with you that I don't, when I look back at the week, you know, there's, I could sacrifice a lot more than what I sacrificed for the Lord. You know, we can limit our frantic pace that sometimes find ourselves in. We've got to have a balance with the Lord. And so we all should be passionate in serving the Lord. We just stir up that gift inside each and every one of us. The second church, when we look at and We've seen Ephesus. The second church is Smyrna, and this church fits in the time of history from the second to the fourth century, and it was a time of great persecution by the Roman government. And the emperor after emperor came up with new invented ways to kill Christians and thought it might be um, perhaps uh, some of the commentators has made comments that as many as six million Christians were martyred for their faith during that period of time. And it's interesting to see when you look at the name Smyrna, it signifies myrrh. Now, myrrh was one of the ingredients in the anointing oil of the high priest as well as used in the burial of dead bodies through dead bodies, basically embalming, is in other words. And it was bitter, but it gave off a very fragrant smell. And even the way myrrh was made, it's kind of interesting, a picture of suffering. And I kind of summarize it up here. It was from a particular tree which the sap of that was made, and uh, that sap would come out, and they would slash that tree, and that sap would pour out, and they would kind of crystallize that, and they would smash the crystals, and they would mix it with oil, and it would bring this amazing sweet perfume, and they would, they would come from it. And that's really kind of depictive when you look at persecution and things, hard things in our world today, because it looks hard on the outside, but Jesus says it's a sweet fragrance. It's a sweet perfume. I don't know if you're here this morning, you feel like you're going through hardship or hard times, sufferings for the sake of being a Christian, but it's very precious to the Lord. You have a testimony. Let your testimony shine. Smyrna was one of the two churches that did, wasn't given any rebuke 
They were pure and straight and right on the midst of, the, of such great suffering. And I've heard it said before that, you know, in order for us to have revival, we need persecution. Most of us have heard that statement. And we don't want persecution, but that can help us uh, to put us in a revival spirit. And it's easy to slip into, um, uh, I guess you could say, church entity as a whole and come and go and, and uh, you know, enjoy the presence of the Lord, enjoy the services, but yet don't sacrifice our walk and our relationship with the Lord on a daily basis. God wants to, he wants to get into our house. He wants to get in our home. He wants to get into us individually. That's one of the things the Lord's really been dealing with me here. Uh, you know, I, most of us, most of you know, that I, probably, I get, go to work real early in the morning, and sometimes we'll pray, and we'll bring our petitions to the Lord, and we, we get so caught up in, Lord, I need this, I need this, I need this, I want this, and, you know, all these things, but yet we don't never give the Lord time. We don't never meditate. We just kind of bring our needs and what we, what we need the Lord to do, but the Lord wants to conversate. He wants to, he wants to have a relationship. He wants to talk, minister to us. Amen. And so many people uh, look through Smyrna and they don't want to go through the persecutions. They don't want to go through the hardships, but yet he that overcomes, they're not going to be hurt by the second death. And so I'd rather pay the price right now than, than have to pay the price later. Amen. Now, a lot of people live for right now and they compromise and then they don't worry about the future and what takes place later. And so the church at Smyrna wasn't compromised, and they committed their lives to Christ, and they, perse- they were persecuted. They had a target on them. They had a death sentence. I wonder, uh, in, many of us, even here this morning, if they was a, you look at our third world countries, and some of them have had to go through many hardships. They've had to go through many things, uh, you know, over in Israel and all those uh, countries over there, there's, they're targeting Christians, and it's almost like a death sentence. And I want to, even us here this morning, if there was a firing squad on the outside of our doors and said, you know, I'm going to shoot you if you proclaim that you love Jesus Christ and you're a, you're a Christian believer. I wonder if, if us as individuals here this morning, if we would be able to go through something of that nature. And that's a good question. It's a good question to ask even to myself because sometimes we let our attitudes get in the way. We let petty things, and we, we let ourselves get ruffled up over small things, but yet he cares for us. He sees, for, he sees us just as we are. Sometimes we, we, we want to get the Lord's attention and say, Lord, you know where I'm at right now. I need you to do a work, but oftentimes God maybe has a different perspective than what we do. But that doesn't mean that he's left us. That doesn't mean that he's left us in our uh, sufferings and in our tribulations and that he's forgotten us. So don't get discouraged in hard times. Philippians 1 and 6 says, Being confident of this one thing, that he who has begun the work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2 and 7 also tells us we read in the ages to come that he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. And so he sees the whole picture. He sees the refining process. He sees the beauty that comes out of our lives when we're going through hard situations, when we're going through rough times, when we're going through injustices, when somebody is, is constantly, seems like they're getting one up on you and they're, they're doing evil, they're doing wickedness, and you're, you're wanting the Lord, Lord, I need you to deal with this person. I need, you, I need you to take this person out, but yet 
the Lord tells us that his grace is sufficient. And I'm thankful for that. Amen. John 16 and 3 says, but in me you may have peace. And true peace is a relationship with him. Suffering, I believe, brings out the true state of one's faith. When you're going through the fire, it really shows you true colors of who you are. And so, uh, you know, don't be weary in your well-doing. Don't be, don't, be, um, don't be discouraged in your hardships. Know that God has a way of strengthening and touching and giving you exactly what you need. Amen. Moving on along to our next church is Pergamos. It comes from a word mixed, meaning mixed marriage. It has the idea of the church that is compromised, that was married to the world and allowed influence of the world to take over the church. And it seems to be somewhere around a period of 300 A.D. to 600 A.D. It was kind of known as the imperial age. And there was pagan doctrines and practices that began to creep into the church. And I won't go into detail, but you can kind of look in and Constantine, he didn't, he kind of made um, church, you know, to be popular. And so, uh, you know, he promoted Christians to high states. And so uh, Christianity wound up becoming uh, popular during those times. And and uh, there was great pressure in the church to be more open-minded and tolerant of sinful and immoral hate behavior. Is that, is that going on today? Is, you know, do we need to be more tolerant, be more accepted? You're seeing those things taking place in our world today. And yet, the church at Pergamos, there was great pressure among them to mix in pagan rituals and, and uh, you know, taking pagan festivals and making them Christian holidays and pagan priests who slipped into office and making them Christian priests. And those things are going on even in our generation today that, the, you know, that Satan would not love nothing more than mix the world with the church and take the power out of the church. And we are constantly bombarded by the world to be tolerant and to be accepted, which God says is wicked. You can read, look back, uh, Numbers chapter 23, and it kind of gives you a story of the cancel of Balaam and how, you know, that they tried to mix true worship and Israel began to break God's commandments with sexual immorality and getting involved with Moabite gods. And, you know, the Moabites wanted to conquer Israel, but Israel was too big and too strong, and they hired the prophet Balaam to come and curse them. And most of us probably are familiar with that story and all, but yet he couldn't curse them. He, he spoke blessings, but they told another way to get uh, Israel to fall is to send those girls in the camp, those Moabite girls. And what did they do? They went in that camp, and they... they wind up changing, wind up worshiping those idols. And they said it was like 23,000 Israelites lost their life. And so the judgment of God is very serious. Even here today, the God's judgment is serious. We live in a, we live in a world today that is full of, of God is love, God is peace and prosperity and all those things. But I'm telling you, we live in a generation that judgment is coming and it is coming soon. And we have to be ready. And God has a standard for each and every one of us. And so we can look at it that God has plenty of examples here for us today. And Satan would love nothing more to cloud our ability to choose which ray is right and which ray is wrong. And that's why we have to be, we have to be constantly in this word and let the word have free course and re, free reign in our lives. We're told in 1 Thessalonians to test all things, to hold fast to what is good, abstain from every evil. We're to feast on the bread of life, the word that he says to him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna to eat. In John 6 and 32, it tells us that 
Jesus said, As surely I say unto you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my Father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life unto the world. And they said, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger. He who believes in me shall never thirst. He's the satisfying portion of his people. He's the satisfying portion of us even here this morning. And so we look at the lesson in Pergamos, and we see it even here today that we're to accept. We, there has to be a principle of separation. We can't mix, our, we can't mix doctrine views. We can't mix uh, what the world has to say, but we have to stand on a firm foundation. Amen. Amen. Kind of want to kind of skipping over some here. When we look at permanence, it means mixed marriage. Amen. I don't want to be caught up in idolatry. I don't want to be caught up. You say, well, how do you, you know, I don't, well, Brother Chad, I don't worship idols. I don't worship statues. But you know what? There's other things that we worship. There's other things that anything that we put that's a substitute in the place of the Lord, that is an idol. Whether we put fishing, whether we put um, hunting, whether we put golfing, whether we put shopping, whatever we put in the place of the Lord. And God, we, we have to seek, search the Lord. We have to seek the Lord with all our heart, mind, soul, body, and strength. Amen. There can be no substitutes. Amen. There's a lot of people that put substitutes. There's a lot of different other religions that make substitutes. But you know what? There's only one true God. And I don't want to come into this house. I don't want to come into this house and be full of ritual and traditions and know the scripture, but I want it to be alive. I want it to be applicable. I want it to be not, not just something I know, but it's something I do, it's something I see. And I want it for, for you guys as well. I, I, you know, God gives us revelation so that we might be a testimony, so that we might be impact others, not only in our workplace, but share the goodness that he's done from us. There was also a, a, a letter sent to the city of Thyatira, and it was kind of a, a collection of trade unions. It was a, uh, known as um, trade unions more than any other Asian city. And, and uh, when we look at you know, this particular city, it, was, um, um, it included ritual prostitution, idol worship, just a whole bunch of debauchery. Um, taking place, and there were so much rituals and things going on, but yet, basically, people controlled the church. They were, those people were faithful to go to the church, but there was the emptiness. They were living lives in total ungodly, unconfessional ways. They was more interested in the traditions, more interested in, in church being a social club, and, and we know that even here this morning that we need love and power, and we need the Spirit of God working in our lives, but I don't want to be a Pharisee that knows the scripture, but doesn't have the love shining throughout my life. I don't want to see, um, I want to know just more, not just, not just about the Bible and all, but I want God working through us. Amen. We can't just get, be caught up in, and, and say, well, I have the truth and the truth has set me free, but yet is the truth manifesting itself through you. Amen. There has to be that obedience. There has to be the truth of God's word that cleanses us. And I believe that's even the problem here in some of our churches and all, that there was compromise, that there was 
there was a um, there was a mixture. You had Ephesus that had lost their first love, but then you had another church that had you had Pergamus and uh, Thyatira. They had compromised in other areas. And so, my question, even here to you this morning, is: What are you doing with the Spirit that's speaking to you here today? That's a good question, and I believe each and every one of us can ask that question in our lives. We look, lastly, at the church of Sardis. I'll kind of bypass some of the other ones. They were known as a church living on the past reputation. When they started out, they were right on, but rather staying right on, they rested in the fact that 20 years that they were right on. They were so caught up in what they'd done in the past, but they wasn't caught up in what what was going to take place in the future. And God forbid even us here today that God, we had an experience with God in the past. And I, I know I'm hitting somewhere when I say this, that we had an experience with God in the past, but we are dead right now as we speak. And I believe that there ought to be a passion inside each and every one of us here today. There ought to be a fire. There ought to be a spirit of God inside of each of us as individuals because these letters weren't just written to churches but they were written to the individuals in those churches. And I believe those seven characteristics can come, or speaking even in our church here this morning. Amen. Matthew 7 tells us that Jesus said that not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, shall enter into the kingdom of God, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. So it's not just like what we look like on the outside, but it's also what we have on the inside. Amen. Isaiah 29 and 13 says, These people claim to worship me, but their words are meaningless. Their hearts are somewhere else. And a lot of times, once you learn the routine, and you learn, you know, the in and out, and you, we come to church and you say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get blessed to the Lord, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave, and God's going to fill me, and, and that's it. God didn't just, he didn't just fill you with his spirit to, for you to be a useless vessel. He filled you with his spirit to do a work and a purpose. And how many of you want the same thing even here this morning? Maybe some characteristics that I've stated here this morning hit home with some of you. I believe that there's an altar that we can find renewal. Maybe you lost your first love. Maybe, maybe you've got caught up in the work process. Maybe you got caught up in some ways that you've compromised and you've justified some actions. And I believe that when we look at these letters to the churches that, you know, you say, well, no, I would never fit in that category. I'm telling you, each and every one of us, we have seasons in life that we go through. There's times that God blesses, and then there's times that we live in hardships and we struggle and we're climbing up the mountain. And I want us to stand even here this morning. I know I probably kind of blow through some of it, but I just believe the Spirit of the Lord wants to minister and touch. I want us to bow our heads and pray, and I want us to think about those characteristics that I've been mentioning to some of those churches. Have I compromised in any way? Yes, God did a great and mighty work. He filled those people in the upper room with His Spirit, but yet I believe the future of Pentecost is right here. It's right here in front of us, and what are we going to do with it? That's the question I have to ask here. This morning, I want us to bow our heads and pray and search our hearts really hard this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I know God, Lord, I always feel inadequate. And I know 
Lord, that you're speaking to some people here this morning. And God, Lord, whether the passion's gone, whether there's been compromise, or whether we've got caught up in the work and the labor, or whether we've got caught up in just the ministry and just the weariness, or whether we're going through persecution, going through hardships, going through trials, tribulations, looking for answers. Lord, you gave John a vision. And I believe that vision just wasn't for that day, but it's for this day as well. I pray, God, Lord, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying. In Jesus' name, why don't we just entertain the presence of the Lord?